This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Hang on just a second. Just a second. Hang on. Hang on. Yes, I do want to upgrade to the new version of Angry Birds. All right. Um, Don't you hate when that happens? Don't you hate that? You know, technology is a tool that we have in our lives, and it's a part of every one of our lives. And as we kick off this new series about I Want a New Marriage, I thought that it would be fitting for us to talk about how technology affects our relationships and our marriage. And whether you're married or not, I want this message to apply to you, and I want you just to allow the Lord to speak to your heart, whether you're divorced, whether you're single, whether you're widowed, whether uh, you've been married for five minutes or 50 years. It it doesn't matter. I believe that this series is going to be impacting. I want you to use this as an opportunity to be able to invite people, invite your spouse, invite friends, co-workers to come to church Because I believe that we're going to dive into the Word of God and we're going to help to define exactly what God wants in our marriage and to help us to grow in our relationship. And I think one of the biggest distractions a lot of times that we have is technology. I think too many times we've been either on the giving or the receiving end of that conversation where we've said, hang on just a second, hang on a minute, I've got to finish this text, I've got to finish this email, I've got to finish writing this. And, and we don't realize exactly what exactly is going on. So the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, is Reboot. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, how marriage affects uh, and technology affect one another and exactly how to grow through those things. So God, we ask you to help us today to grow in your word and understand of it, Lord. Help us to uh, be able to hear clearly your voice. And Father, I pray I'll articulate this as you desire and see fit to help our church, God, each one of us individually and collectively to grow from this point on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we know that in marriage that we need life in marriage in order to survive. Anything that's going to survive has to have life. We have to be connected to life. The Bible takes this example of a tree and compares us to a tree by saying in Psalm chapter 1 that blesses the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law of the Lord, he meditates day and night. And when he does this, the Bible says in the third verse that he shall be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water whose fruit is going to come forth in a season. His leaf isn't going to wither. In other words, this tree is going to be connected to the source of life. And no matter what comes against it, it's going to bear fruit. It's not going to wither away. But we see that this tree is exposed to all these different elements. We see that a tree is exposed to sun, a tree is exposed to wind, a tree is exposed to rain, and all of these elements out here that actually 
are trying to, uh, in a sense, could destroy it, actually benefit the tree and help make it stronger. Because the tree needs the sun, the tree needs the rain, and all of these things that come to the tree that actually help its fruit to be better. But you take wood out of the context of life, of being a part of the tree, and the very same things that once helped it to grow and strengthen it could be the very things that erode it and weaken it. Take, for example, I, I built a deck uh, this past summer, and when I built the deck, I had to buy treated lumber because lumber is not made apart from that life to be able to withstand a lot of those elements. Now, this stuff doesn't happen overnight, but if I leave the sun out on my deck without protecting the wood of that deck, it's going to warp. It's going to begin to weaken. The rains and all of the things that come against it, the wind, all of the elements, the dirt even can get into the grains of the wood. These things are going to warp it. It's going to weaken it. And over time, this thing is going to be very unsturdy and unstable. But yet, these are the very things that actually used to benefit the tree when it was a part of life. It used to actually help it. It used to actually strengthen it. And now these things weaken it when it is apart from the life-giving source, when it's apart from the life-giving roots, the foundation. And we know it's the same thing in our relationships, that erosion begins to happen when we are apart from life. When we are apart or disconnected or disengaged from things that bring life. Those things will begin to erode slowly over time. And the sun, if it hits the wood on the deck one time without it being treated or taken care of, it's not going to mess it up. It's not going to immediately ruin it. But if I leave it out there over time, it's going to begin to warp it and wear it down. And it's the same thing. One day we wake up next to this person that we've been living with for the past 10 years that we've called husband or wife, and we go, you know what? I don't know you anymore. I feel very disconnected from you. I feel like I don't matter anymore. I feel like we've become two different people. And we began to feel this, this, this wedge, this disconnect. But it didn't happen overnight because that same person that you were all googly-eyed over when you were dating and when you were engaged and you were holding hands and saying, I do, and the very next day you didn't wake up and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're this. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. No, you're still in that state. We're getting to know one another. And, and, and our marriage you know, is, is fun and exciting at that point. But over time, it erodes. Over time, it erodes when it's not connected to the source of life. When it's not connected to something that is helping to strengthen it and grow it. It's not just the big problems in life that we need to deal with. Because a lot of times we look and we go, you know what? Oh, I've got this big issue in my marriage or this big issue in my relationship. And so I need a big answer to fix it. And we're going around looking for the magic answer. We're wanting somebody to tell us how to fix this, and, or maybe we're not wanting to tell someone to tell us how to fix it. Maybe we're wanting someone to point out what the other person needs to fix, and we're hoping so we can have some ammo in our gun, and we can go, hey, you know, did you hear what the preacher said? <laughs> he said, you need to do this. And we go around looking for the solution being this big answer that's going to immediately solve everything. And the things that want to erode our marriage, they're not always these big, huge things that are obvious. They're not things that we always, you know, have all these uh, electric signs pointing to saying, this is it. It's a snare. It's a trap. The Bible talks about how we need to be aware of the traps of our enemy, the devil. 
who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Any good person, uh, any good hunter that likes to trap or whatever, he doesn't paint his traps hot pink. He doesn't paint them neon colors and go, hey, look, this is a trap, by the way, in case you didn't know. No, he camouflages it and he wants to put it in a way to where it's not as obvious. And it's those little things that trap us in our relationships. It's those little things that ensnare us in our marriages that we don't even realize. It can be something as simple as technology that we look at as a benefit in our lives and something that we enjoy and understand something. Technology is not bad in and of itself. I'm probably one of the biggest nerds in the room. You know, I love technology. I, I, it's, it, it's, it's great. I love plugging things in and hooking things up, tinkering with technology and stuff. I, I do. I, I enjoy it. And, and I enjoy learning how things work. Matter of fact, I owned a, a website uh, business back in Texas, and I did that for four years. And, and so I, I, I understand code and all this stuff and how to, how to, how to put together a website. I, I really enjoy technology and stuff like that. But, but we need to understand something, that it's not bad in and of itself, but the order of priority that we give it oftentimes can be a trap and a snare. The priority that we'll give it in our lives is often a trap. An erosion of a marriage is a snare that the enemy would want to use to distract us from God and from one another. And remember, it's not always obvious. And technology is great, but it's also a trap. It's another tool that God desires to be used for His glory and for our benefit, but it can also be a part of the erosion of relationships. Just like we'll go to a restaurant like Chili's. My family really likes going to Chili's because we get these free coupons for the kids' meals and stuff if you sign up for their email, which if you didn't know that, hey, hey. And, uh, and, and you get free kids' meals every now and then. So we'll go there. And in the Chili's environment, get this, when you walk in, you've got music playing. You've got TVs all over the room that are playing different things. And then you have people who are supposed to be engaging one another in conversation, talking to one another, but they're on their phones the whole time. So they're saturated, they're overstimulated with all of this technology, with music, with, with, with television and sports. And then I've got my phone because I just can't get enough. Keep on to the fourth stone. Don't stop till you get enough. Woo! And I just can't get enough. I can't stop. I can't stop the, the technology addiction. Because it's almost like I can't even talk to someone. Maybe the person I'm sitting across from, I'm actually texting them to converse with them. <laughs> but what we don't realize is that as, as helpful as technology is, that it can also be a trick and a trap if we don't understand its priority and its place in our lives. Especially when it comes to our marriage. Even marketing strategists have figured this out. People that want to put together commercials or brand their products in a way that would be appealing to us. They figured this out that we are addicted to technology. And so they want to use our addiction to technology to actually sell us their products. And there's one commercial in particular that drives me nuts every time I see it. And I want to show it to you. So go ahead and show the folks the commercial this morning. This new charter app has completely changed my life. Now I can watch live TV anywhere in the house. No, 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 don't go in there! I can program my DVR right from my phone. I can even search over 10,000 movies and shows on demand. Now I can spend time with my daughter and TV. Ready or not, here I come. Daddy's not ready, honey. Count to 1,000. Get Charter TV starting at $29.99 per month. Charter, make way for more.
Think about this. Daddy's not ready, honey. Count to a thousand because I would rather watch TV than play with you. And that's what's being communicated. Now, would that dad ever tell that daughter that? No, we would never say that. But what we communicate non-verbally is just as important or not if more, port, more, more important than what we say out of our mouths. Because our kids and our spouses and those closest to us, they're picking up on these things, on what we really value and what we really think is important. Because we'll get connected to something that maybe we're even in the same room with somebody. But because of technology, I'm connected to a completely different world at this time. And it's not bad that we want to watch television or that we want to mess around on our phones or that we want to get on the internet and, and, and check Facebook or whatever. That's not the issue. The issue is when I prioritize that over the relationships that matter most. It's a trap and you can get caught up in it extremely easily. Because what we're communicating non-verbally is, hang on, I would rather do this than engage you in meaningful conversation right now. I would rather try to knock over those green pigs right now than actually talk to you about something when I can tell you're trying to engage me or we're trying to have a conversation. And, and the enemy can use technology, can use television, can use the internet, can use our phones as a trap to get us to be disconnected because the enemy would love for nothing more than for marriages to fall apart left and right. He would love for nothing more than that. And he wants to use all kinds of different tools. Maybe it's not technology. Maybe it's a hobby or, or, or maybe it's work. Maybe it's something that's causing you to be disconnected from those that matter most. And what we don't realize is what we're communicating in a very nonverbal but very profound way to them that this is more valuable because of the way that I show you and what not necessarily what I tell you but what I show you that we can be in completely different worlds and be in the same room and we can be in this trap and this erosion can be happening and we're not really even aware of it you know I, I think that disengaged relationships create disconnected when we're disengaged from one another, we become very, very distant and very disconnected because we're not engaging one another. And remember, erosion happens slowly and over time to where actually people begin preferring their internet relationships over real ones. Where people begin to have this idea that somehow technology is my outlet from reality. Because my reality is so difficult, I would rather be focused on something that isn't real or that isn't tangible or touchable because it gives me this opportunity to escape. People get caught up in video games. I love video games just as much as the next guy that's you know, my age that enjoys that kind of stuff. But you know, I, I can't allow it to be this alternate reality from my family. Amen, somebody. I can't allow my phone to become an alternate reality and an escape from those that matter most. I can't let my favorite TV show or my sports team become that thing that I put above my family and it becomes my escape from dealing with what I need to deal with at home. My escape from dealing with the stuff that's going on maybe in my marriage because a lot of people will do this and they get caught up in this trap. They'll say this, they'll say, I deserve this and that's what they think. That's the lie that technology wants to get you to buy into is that I deserve this. I had a hard day at work. 
or, you know, things aren't going very well in my marriage. I deserve this. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of people that I've counseled that want to uh, overcome uh, pornography addiction, that are addicted to pornography, the reason that they escape to pornography is because they think I deserve this because I've been dealing with this in my marriage and I deserve this. And they buy into the lie and they get caught up in the trap and the snare of thinking that they deserve this. Now, are there times where we do need to unplug from the busyness of life and the stresses of life? Well, sure there are. But the problem is, is that we, when we begin to look at that as our source of hope, our source of joy, our source of love, our source of affirmation, our source of security, our source of relationship, then we get very disconnected from the people that matter most. Because really, what we're searching for from that technology is something that we should really be first and foremost looking for from God and that we should be giving one another in our relationships. Amen? You see, we look for affirmation. We'll, we'll post something really clever on Facebook and we'll check back every 10 minutes or maybe 5 minutes to see how many people have liked it because that means that I'm smart and special and people know I exist. And I want to, oh, I got 10 likes. Oh, come on, that was really like a thing I put out there. And then we'll get back on it. And oh, how many people liked it now? Did anyone comment on it? We'll get mad if people don't comment on our stuff. That was definitely comment worthy. Does anyone know I exist? <laughs> we get mad at people because they don't like the fact that we need coffee in the morning and we want to tell the world that. You know, and we look at this as some form of relationship and it's not. It's a very shallow, alternate form of relationship that, isn't gonna pro that is going to promise you a lot, but isn't going to deliver on what it promises. I went to Mexico one time with my wife on our 10-year anniversary. We took a cruise to Mexico, and one of the places that we um, went to port had these sunglasses for sale. And I really like Oakley sunglasses, in case you ever want to get me some. Um, the problem with Oakley sunglasses is that they're really expensive. And the last pair I had, I lost, so I'm not allowed to buy any. Uh, so, so I'm not allowed to have them because of that reason. But here we are in Mexico, and there's Oakley sunglasses for five bucks in Mexico, man. Oakley sunglasses? You've got to be kidding me. And I go over there and look at these things, and they don't have the L in the word Oakley. They're just Okies. And I thought, <laughs> I'm from Oklahoma originally. That's where I was born. That kind of fits. So I gave the guy five bucks, and I bought the glasses. They're the most uncomfortable, cheap glasses. Oh, my gosh, just junk. Those glasses are not going to bear the test of time. They're not going to be as good as the other ones. They're what? They're a cheap knockoff. And that's exactly what all this stuff that we're looking to as an alternative for the real thing is. It's a cheap knockoff. It's a cheap knockoff of real friendship. Oh, I have 895 friends. No, you don't. <laughs> There's no way. As I think about the close friends in my life, I mean, I have probably just a handful of really, really close friends that really just understand my heart and that I'm really, really just close and open with, not the 800 and something people that have said they're my friend online. You know, I think I've got, to, I've, I've got to be a part of this alternate universe because it helps me to relax. Uh, because what am I really looking for? I'm really looking for a sense of peace because this is promising me some type of peace. But you know what? 
It's going to fall short. It's going to fall short and not really deliver. Oh, it makes me important. Oh, this makes me... No, you know what? It really doesn't. It just promises that you'll be important. Because we think that somehow if I'm always on technology, that if I'm always connected to technology because of what the, the media has painted for us, that that somehow equates to me being important because busyness in our culture equates to importance. And I want to be important and I want to be significant and I want to matter, so therefore I have to be busy to matter. Do I really? No, I don't have to be busy to be significant or to matter. I should actually be finding significance and importance in my relationship with my spouse because we should be mutually sharing and exchanging those things and affirming those things in our relationship. But when those things aren't there, when we're not connected to life, when we're not connected to the source, we begin to drift and the erosion begins to happen and we begin to look for things that we should be having in our relationship with our spouse from somewhere else. And when we find those things, we just dive into it because we think that's giving me that, that thing that I need, but it's not. It just keeps promising, and it doesn't really deliver on what it promises. It's an empty promise. That's exactly what technology will do, but it will want to sucker you in to get you addicted, to get you distracted from what really matters in life, what's really important. Just like my wife and I went to my son's basketball game this last Saturday. And when I'm sitting there watching my son, these kids are not very good, okay? And that frustrates me, all right? Because I love basketball. And when I see these kids just learning to play basketball, I want to run out there on the court and go, no, this is how you set a screen. No, you can't dribble, pick it up, and then walk a few steps and dribble again. He's open. He's open over here. So I'm watching. I'm engaged with this. But yet there are so many parents that we're doing this right here while their kids are playing sports. And you want to know every single child out there did the same thing because they all want the same thing. They all want approval and want to know that you're watching. Every time a kid would make a basket, he was looking out there for mom or dad. Every time a kid would do something that he or she thought was good, they were looking. I remember one kid that, that we were sitting by his parent, uh, his mom, that, that he, got a, he got a rebound. And as soon as he got a rebound, he goes, turns around, looks at his mom. Yeah. <laughs> He wants to know, are you watching? But so many moms and dads were doing this right here. And maybe they had just taken a picture of their kid and they had spent five minutes searching for the right filter to put it on Instagram <laughs> instead of staying engaged with the child. Because that kid knows. Because you see, you, we may not be telling the child that what you're doing is not as important as me getting to the next level on Angry Birds or me checking my email or me texting this person but we are in a nonverbal way showing them that right now I'm paying attention to this instead of I should have my attention focused on you. And they are picking up these nonverbal cues that we're giving them. So I made the decision that day. I wasn't going to bring my phone because I knew I'd be tempted, okay? I knew I'd be tempted. So I didn't even bring my phone to the game. Because you want to know what? That game lasted an hour. And there is nothing that anyone would need to communicate to me for the most part in that one hour that was worthy of me giving my attention to it, my kid was more important in that moment. Amen, somebody? So I left the phone at home, and I watched my kid. And every time my kid did something goofy, and he did a lot of things goofy out there, he'd turn around, he would look at me, you know, and, and he knew we were there. He knew we were watching. He knew we were engaged. He knew we were involved. Same thing when we spend time with our spouse. Are we engaged in that? Or are we letting them know you matter to me? You're important to me. I want to talk to you, or, or are the majority of our conversations, hang on a second, let me finish this email. 
Hang on a second. Let me finish this text. Hang on a second. Let me interrupt you there for a minute because i got to check this or check that. Because right now this is more important to me. If we communicate those things, we're going to do a lot of damage and bring a lot of erosion. So we need to understand that. And we need to be well aware of that. Here's the thing. That we need life in our marriage for our marriage to be sustained and to survive. But the life that sustains and strengthens marriage is Jesus Christ. Like three people believe that. I said the life that sustains and strengthens marriage is Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said this himself in the Gospel of John in the 6th chapter and the 63rd verse. Jesus said this. He said, It is the Spirit who gives life and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, I've, I've got the words of life here. He said, the things that I say, that's life. You need to stay connected and plugged in to life in order to sustain and strengthen your marriage. We need to stay plugged in and connected to the words of Jesus and what he said and what he would desire for us to do in our relationships and what he wants for us. And the more we stay plugged into that source of life when the storms come, because they're coming, baby, just hang on. You'll be able to sustain and grow through the storm. Everybody has storms. Everybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care how picture perfect you think someone's life and marriage is. I guarantee you, they have storms. They have things that they go through. I know some of you really like Joel Osteen. And he's always happy and he's always got a smile. And he's always saying about Victoria how he loves her. And you know what? He wants to talk about how with this is my Bible. Say it with me, Lakewood. And he wants to talk about that and how he's happy. I guarantee you sometimes that Joel Osteen wakes up and his mullet is all jacked up. His <laughs> wife's breath stinks. And they have some words. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. I guarantee that there are times in that home that are not picture perfect. And I'm going to, I mean, I'm not even going to try to pretend like everything in my life is picture perfect because it's not. There are things that we go through, things that we grow together in. The difference of whether or not I'm going to grow through it or make it through this storm is going to be, am I plugged into life or am I looking to escape through something like technology? Because if I'm looking to escape and I'm searching for answers or searching for hope or peace or joy from something that can't deliver it, then I'm going to erode that relationship and get further and further apart from the people that matter most. But if I stay plugged into life, my leaf is not going to wither. I'm always going to produce fruit in my season. I'm going to be like that tree that's planted by the river of living water. The life that sustains and strengthens marriage is Jesus Christ. Understand something, that erosion doesn't happen overnight. Decay doesn't happen overnight. It's the little things that cause erosion, and we need to understand it's the little things that are going to bring us back and strengthen us to where we need to be, to be able to enjoy one another again and grow together and be closer together. It's not just one big answer. A lot of times people go looking for that one big answer and they're really not even looking for an answer. They've already got their mind made up in the relationship, what they want to do. They're just looking for one more thing to do to be able to say, you know what, we tried everything instead of really looking for an answer. They're just wanting to go and say, well, we tried everything. Did we really? Just because someone couldn't give me that one big answer, now I have my justification and my decisions. 
and what I want to do and the fact that I don't want to be with this person anymore instead of understanding that marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God. Marriage is a gift from God. Sometimes you might not feel like the person you're married to is a gift from God. But marriage itself is a gift from God. It is. It helps us to grow. It actually helps to sanctify us. It helps to grow us. It helps to show us exactly the love and the communion and the connection God desires for us. And and we're able to have that partnership together because God says it's not good that man's alone. It's not good that we're alone. So he he wanted to create for us this this opportunity, this gift, if we want to receive of what marriage is. And so marriage is a gift. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that God honors marriage. That God honors commitment and covenant. That it's a deep life covenant that he's wanting us to honor. And he doesn't want us to give up on it when it gets hard. Because God doesn't give give up on us when we begin to go down the wrong path in life. God doesn't just say, you know what, I'm done with you. No, God says, no, this is the type of commitment I have to you that I'm willing to stick with you through thick and thin. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave us every time we blow it? That wouldn't be a good thing. Because God's not flip-floppy. God's not wishy-washy. God's not moved by emotions. God doesn't make decisions based on emotions. You and I can oftentimes become emotionally driven people to where we want to feel everything first. And then we'll act based on how we feel. I want to feel love towards my spouse and then I'll treat him or her in a way that's loving. And we go about it backwards. God says, no, I want you to actually make the decision to be loving even when you don't feel like it. Amen? I don't feel very kind today. You ever woke up and not felt real kind? (laughs) Or you woke up and you go in the bathroom and you look around and you go, I was feeling kind, but now I'm not. (laughs) Unkind. But if I make the decision to not act on how I feel, and I stop and I think, and I want to treat this person with dignity and with respect, It's those little things that's going to bring us closer together. It's those little things that we recognize. And it's the little things that erode. It's the little things that technology tries to steal from our relationships. So to reboot our marriage, we need to learn to stop looking for for something from technology that we should be giving and receiving from one another. And the main thing I'm talking about is our attention. That's the main thing I'm talking about is our, our attention. Because here's the thing. Technology is a tool. But if it controls you, it's no longer a tool. You become the tool. It's a tool for you to control. Have you, have you ever done any woodworking before? Maybe use a table saw. That's one of the scariest saws on the planet. Okay? Table saw can be very, very dangerous. Maybe you're, you're, you're running some wood through and you hit a knot or something and it goes crazy. All of a sudden, you're not in control anymore. You are in control, but then all of a sudden now you got you know, fingers and arms everywhere and stuff because you got out of control. It actually started pulling you towards the saw or moving you in a way you didn't want to go because all of a sudden the tool changed. And all of a sudden now I'm no longer in control. Technology is fine, folks, as long as you're in control, as long as you control and prioritize it in your life. 
when it gets out of control, then it is controlling you. You get to the place where you have to have it, where you're like going through withdrawals and shakes because you, had, you left your phone in the car and you forgot to bring it in and you don't know what's going on in the Facebook world. Matter of fact, some of you are thinking about getting up right now because you're freaking out about missing that picture of cats or that video of someone's kid saying a word for the first time and you just have to see it. i got to know. Hey, I want to know what the fox says. I really want to know. And I heard there's a video that'll tell me. Oh, i got to have it. We feel like when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we got to do is turn on the TV and watch the news because something has happened in the world that we're unaware of and we want to know. First thing we want to do before we do anything else, I've got to turn on the TV. I've got to know. I've got to know. I've got to check my Facebook first thing in the morning. I've got to check my email because someone, while I was sleeping, gave me something extremely urgent. Oh, Kohl's 15% off. Uh, oh, that wasn't that important, was it? But yet we'll wake up and the very first thing we do is we'll touch a piece of technology before we've touched our spouse or our children. And it shows value where we place our priorities and it begins to communicate something that actually can cause distance and erosion. It's a snare and it's a trap. But remember, technology is a tool. Our attention, first and foremost, must be on Jesus. Amen, somebody. Secondly, our attention must be on our spouse, not our job, not our laptop, not our TV, not our phone, not our video games, anything else. First and foremost, Jesus. Secondly, in our life, our attention must be long to our spouse. So for us to apply this reboot message, I want to give you some things to write down. The first thing that's going to help us is to apologize to our spouse for not giving them the attention that they deserve. What? Yes, that's right. Apologize. Apologize to your children. Have you ever done that? That's pretty humbling. Apologize to your spouse for not giving them the attention that they deserve. Because here's the thing. Reconciliation starts with recognizing and repenting. It's not just the fact that I recognize this is good enough. Because a lot of people are sitting here thinking today, oh, I'm recognizing the disconnect. I'm recognizing this, but I don't want to do anything about it. No, if you just recognize it and you don't take a step forward, then you're not going to bring about any type of reconciliation. Because reconciliation starts with recognition and then repentance. And repentance does not mean saying you're sorry. Repentance means saying you're sorry and then turning away from it. Amen, somebody. Repentance means, you know what, I'm sorry, I recognize that I've done this and that I've, I've been ignoring you, and I want us to set boundaries in place in our home to fix this. That's repentance. Let's figure out together how to set boundaries. Let's figure out together how to make this better. If, if it means that, okay, we, we make a new rule at the dinner table, we don't, allow, we don't allow phones. I remember when I first moved here, there was a couple in our church that was uh, going to get married, and they wanted to have me and my wife over their house. And it was the very first couple that I ever got to do a wedding for here at Word of Grace, and so it's always just a real special thing to me. And uh, good, good folks. And one of the things that happened there that night was that they had uh, two teenage daughters there, and we were going to sit down and we were going to eat a meal together. And uh, when, before we sat down, the mom says, all right, girls, you know what to do with your phones. And I'm like, watching this thing kind of take place and the two teenage girls take their cell phones and they put them on this little end table 
that's over by the couch, and then they come and sit down at the table. And I've got my cell phone sitting on the dinner table, and I'm going, okay, I've got to go put my phone over here, yeah. And I went and put my phone over there, too. Now, the whole time that I'm eating with these people, there's this thing in the back of my head that's going, I wonder if anybody's texting me. I wonder what's going on on Facebook. Man, I really need to check my clan because I'm trying to level up some of my characters. Um, man, I, 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 want, I wonder if I'm, I'm getting that email response that I, was, uh, I shot out that email earlier today. But I had to stop and I had to recognize, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing? I, I'm disconnected from what's going on. My mind's somewhere else. I need to be here with these people. And they've thought enough ahead to make their girls put the phones up while we all sit down and eat dinner. And I thought, wow. I thought that was so special. And that's always stuck out in my mind. That was a huge thing that I've always remembered. And I thought, you know what? We need to have that rule in, in our house, you know? I, I, I don't, I don't want to have that there, you know? And so set boundaries. Maybe that means at the dinner table. That's one of your rules. And if you don't go to the dinner table, I would recommend you start. Because it's something that doesn't happen in our day and age all too often. We all have TVs in our different rooms, or everybody has an iPad or a phone, and we just go and we get our food, you know, and we all just go and disperse to different rooms, and we're very, very disconnected. We're disengaged. And we wonder why relationships erode, because we're, 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 falling, we're, we're falling prey to this snare of something that is actually supposed to be helpful to our lives, but it ends up controlling our lives. And same thing on date night. Don't, don't you hate it when... You see two people that are obviously on a date and they're not even talking to each other. They're both doing this right here. They're very disconnected. They're both sitting there texting on their phones or looking at Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Something that is obviously we're saying is more important than our time together. We, if, if we have to bring our phones when we go out on a date with our spouse, by the way, if you don't have a date night, make one. Set aside that time and don't allow technology every single time you go together because it can very quickly be something that keeps you very disconnected. You're supposed to be carving out this time to work on your relationship or build and strengthen your marriage. But we don't because we're so plugged in and we can't unplug and we're not doing this thing. It's kind of old-fashioned and it's been around for a while. It's called talking. And we don't really do that as much as we need to because that piece of technology is not going to strengthen my marriage. That piece of technology is not going to strengthen my marriage. It's not. It's not. Matter of fact, it can very quickly, if not put in proper priority, it can very much keep me disconnected and can actually be a point of contention in my relationship. And that's not a fun thing to hear or say, but a lot of times, because we are so saturated with technology, we'll get that call from work or that text or we've got to check that email or every time we spend time together, it's always in front of a screen. And we have no boundaries. We need to set some boundaries in our home. So maybe that means no tech at the table or maybe that means no tech at date night or, or, or whatever the case may be. I understand there's exceptions when, you know, you, you, you want to make sure your, your family's okay. So you check, you know, to make sure it's not your wife calling or, or, or your kids calling, you know, wherever you may be or, or something really important. I get that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or, or, or tell you that. I'm just saying that we need to make sure that we're keeping this in proper perspective and making sure that we're properly prioritizing it. The third thing I want to I throw out there 
is to do something with your children, your family, and your friends that doesn't involve technology. There's these really old things in the bygone eras, back when you had to walk up the hill both ways, you know, in the snow, barefoot, and you liked it. And back in those days, um, there's a stuff, that, they're called board games or cards. They're, they're, you can find them at Goodwill because most people have dropped them off there <laughs> because they don't know what to do with them. There are things that you can do as a family that don't involve technology. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with watching a movie with the family or the wife. There's nothing wrong with, you know, playing a video game with, with the kids or, 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 or with your spouse or whatever you like, that kind of thing. Um, but everything you do with them doesn't have to involve technology. Amen? doesn't have to involve technology. Go to a restaurant where they don't have TVs or ask if you can sit somewhere where you're not in good view of TV. If you know that's a temptation, you're going to be sitting there going... I gotta see what my sports score is. Oh, that's my final fantasy. That, that's my fantasy team there. And I go, oh, okay, that's my, okay, that's my guy. Yes, he scored two touchdowns. Yes, that's I'm gonna beat my buddies. <laughs> Things like that that can. But yet we're supposed to be sitting at a dinner with our family or our spouse. We have to be real careful of these things. There are snares and there are traps. Fourth thing, recognize what you are communicating. Stop checking your phone every five minutes while somebody's trying to talk to you. Don't you hate that? When somebody's trying to talk to you and they're, and they're going, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Yeah, uh-huh, okay. Okay. Uh, here's what we're telling people in a very nonverbal way is we're telling them you're, what you have to say is not important. I'm in too much of a hurry to truly engage you and to have a meaningful conversation with you. And it's almost like we're trained dogs to like this dog whistle thing. Whatever your ringtone is, you hear it, you know, and you go, oh, you, you'll, you'll push little small children out of the way. You know, you'll push over elderly people just to get to your coat where you left your phone. And then you go and you finally grab your phone and you check it and it goes, K, smiley face. What did I even ask them? And we do that type of stuff because we're addicted. And we are showing that it's important. So be careful of what we're non-verbally communicating and recognize what we're truly saying. Fifth thing, touch your spouse before you touch your phone or any other piece of technology every day. Same thing with your kids. I remember one time I was going to get my kids ready for school. Um, and, and I had picked out their clothes and put the clothes on the bed. And I was sitting there waiting to help them get dressed. And I had my phone with me. And so while they were brushing their teeth or whatever they were doing in the bathroom, um, I was sitting there messing around on my phone. Nothing important. Sitting there messing around. And my son comes in. And he tells me, he says, oh, Dad, you're always on your phone. I stopped. And I put it down. I thought, I don't want my kids to see that I'm always on my phone when I'm getting them ready for school. And that it's so important for me to be on my phone all the time, plugged in and connected, because... When I am getting them ready for school, I'm helping to set the tone for the type of day they're going to have. I'm helping them to see that I care about them, that I'm there for them. But when they see me on my phone, they don't see me there. They see me somewhere else. When your spouse wakes up and maybe you're sitting in bed and you've been awake maybe a minute or two longer than he or she has, and you're on your phone, what are we instantly communicating? What are we saying is important? We're in a nonverbal way showing them something. So, so I want to challenge you. Touch your spouse and touch your children before you ever touch a piece of technology, before you grab the remote and turn the TV on. 
Put your arm around your spouse. Tell them you love them. Give them a kiss on the forehead because your breath is nasty in the morning. <laughs> I mean, come on. Let's just be real. Kiss them on the forehead or the cheek or something, you know. But, I mean, rub their back. Give them a hug. My wife always likes me to give her a hug in the morning. And sometimes when I give her a hug, it's kind of like one of these, okay, I'm in a hurry, i got to go, yeah, 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 yeah. And she always will stop me and be like, that's not a real hug. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And I'll try to give her a better hug, you know, and actually squeeze her a little bit, embrace her, and let her know that I love her, and stop whatever busyness is going on in my mind. Or the fact that, you know, sometimes we do this, we'll be hugging our spouse or whatever, and our phone's on the table, and we heard it go, because it's on vibrate, and you look over there. Stop. Stop. Stop doing that because we're giving value to that over those that should matter the most. Amen, somebody? So make sure we touch our spouse and our children before anything else. Number six, stop erosion and decay in your marriage and relationships by planting your marriage by the rivers of living water, of God's word, and of his spirit. Make sure that you are plugged in and planted to the word of God. Make sure you're connected to his word. If you can't spend time together in the word, maybe your schedules don't work out to where you can do that, you get in the word for yourself. Get engaged, get involved in the word for yourself, and then begin to have those types of conversations with your husband or your wife when you can. Maybe it is at the dinner table. Hey, you know, Pastor Derek said this the other day, you know, and I started thinking about that, and, and, and it really challenged me. Or, you know, hey, I read this in the Bible the other day, and, and you begin to converse about things that are life-giving. That is helping to plant you by the rivers of living water. Just having something as simple as a conversation with one another about the things of God. Because Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. So as we talk about those things, we're talking about life. We're talking about the life of the Word of God that we need to sustain and to strengthen our marriage. Amen? Amen. The seventh thing is this. Take positive small steps to give one another the value, attention, security, and love that you both need and that you both deserve. It's not always in these big giant leaps and these big huge changes. It's in these little things. These little things, not just saying I love you, but showing it by taking small steps and allowing that momentum to build and grow in our marriage. Amen, somebody? Before we go today, I want to share with you one more scripture because I want to encourage you today in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy was a young minister and the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him because Timothy had run into some roadblocks and some frustrating things as a young pastor. He was getting very frustrated. I don't know how frustrated Timothy got. I don't know if he was on the verge of quitting. I don't know if he was on the verge of, uh, of just, you know, maybe entering into a deeper level of depression or, or fear or intimidation or whatever it was that he was dealing with exactly. But Paul knew what was going on. And Paul wanted to write Timothy a letter to encourage him. And this is one of the things that Paul writes to Timothy in, verse, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul says, Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then he says, For God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. He says, Timothy, I'm reminding you to stir up the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. So obviously, whatever gift that Paul is talking about, it was received when 
Paul laid his hands on Timothy. God gave it to him because that word gift is the Greek word charisma, which would have been the word that Paul would have written to young Timothy. And that word charisma means a gift from God that was bestowed upon you by grace. In other words, this didn't have anything to do with you. This gift wasn't something you earned or deserved. It was a gift that God gave you by his grace. And it, it, it was received by Timothy when Paul laid hands on him. But now he's saying, I'm reminding you to stir up this gift. You see, it was received through laying on of hands. And what we want to do a lot of times is we want to say, okay, I received it through laying on of hands, so I want to go back and have somebody lay hands on me and fix me again. But Paul said, no, I'm not asking you to come back here and let me lay hands on you again. He said, I'm putting the responsibility on you. I'm telling you to do what? To stir up the gift. Now that phrase, to stir up, in the Greek is one word. And we translate it as best that we can in the English as to stir up. But it was actually one word that Paul would have written to Timothy. And that word was the compound word, anazopiro. And ana means again. Zos or zoe means life. And then puro means fire. What Paul was telling Timothy was that this gift that was bestowed upon you by grace has the potential to be made alive again, but you have to do what it takes to make the fire alive again. That's what Paul was telling Timothy, to make the fire alive again. It has the potential. And we understand that marriage is a gift of God. It is something that he gave to us as humanity to enjoy. He gave it to us to begin to show us his love for us and to help to sanctify us, to help us to grow together, to help us to be partners in life together and covenant partners in life together. And because of that, it's a gift of God. And it's something that God believes in, something that he gave you and me, a gift, and it can be made alive again. But you and I have to do something to take a step in the right direction, to begin to stir it up. Amen? Anything God has given has the potential to be made alive again. That's why the Bible says that the callings of God... They're, they're without repentance. There's, 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 no, there, there's no getting away from this. He says, if this really is from God, and we know that marriage is from God, it has the potential to be made alive again. So I want to encourage you. Maybe you're in a dark place in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you've just come out of some recent struggles. Maybe you're a single person. Maybe you're a widow. Maybe you are someone who is engaged or hopes to be married. Understand this, that with God, all things are possible. Amen? But that doesn't mean we sit behind waiting for God to do something when he's telling us to take a step forward and stir up the gift. So that may mean it starts today with a conversation. That may mean that today it starts with us identifying some boundaries and some things, beginning to actually converse again, maybe setting aside a time to go out on a date night, maybe being able to touch one another again. Spend time together. Put your arm around your spouse or hug them just like we did when we opened up the service. Just something that simple as we're taking a step to stir up that gift that God gave us, that gift of marriage, to stir that up and to actually bring two people who may have been eroded, who may have been worn, who may be weary, actually begin to bring them back together. And God truly can make all things new. Amen, somebody. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?
Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.